What does the message of the Qur'an mean and what should it mean for us in our individual lives? So Allah Ta'ala has revealed this scripture, the final revelation to humanity. What is its import and how should it impact on our lives. So that is what we want to look at. And those are the fundamental questions that we're going to deal with. And to begin answering those questions, we let the Quran speak for itself. So Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Quran and Arabian yattaqun. So he says in Arabic Quran, an Arabic recitation of scripture. That contains no crooked crookedness, meaning it has no internal contradictions. It has no internal contradictions. In order that they, humanity, would have a means that will facilitate their mindfulness and consciousness of their Lord. Specifically, his orders. So we're conscious to such a degree that we implement his orders and we're conscious of him and of his relationship with us and of his place in his creation that we avoid the things that he has prohibited. That's the essence of taqwa. So when someone translates taqwa as God consciousness, that's incomplete. That's an aspect of it, but it's God consciousness that translates itself into a willingness to implement God's commandments and to avoid the things that he has prohibited. So that is the full meaning of taqwa, God consciousness that translates itself, that lends itself to implementing the orders of God and avoiding those things that he has prohibited. So this is one critical aspect of the Qur'an and what it should mean to us. Qur'anan arabiyan ghayra iwajin la'allahum yattaqun. That it should be a scripture that enhances our consciousness of God to such a degree that it enhances our propensity to implement his orders and to avoid his prohibitions. So if we find ourselves reading the Qur'an, reading the Qur'an, reading the Qur'an, and we're neglecting to implement the orders of God that it contains, and we're neglecting to avoid those things it prohibits, something's not quite right. And we need to seek to address that. And that's part of what we want to do. We want to provide prescriptions also. So there, there are things we should do. There are things all of us, including myself, fall short in terms of what we actually do. But there are prescriptions to address those shortcomings. And there are prescriptions to enhance our willingness to do what we should do and to avoid those things we should avoid. So the Qur'an... Uh, one of the things 
that it enhances our consciousness of in a more general sense. So specifically, we could say God consciousness that lends itself to implementing the orders and avoiding the prohibitions. Another thing, though, that's involved in la'allahum yattaqun, that in order that they will be conscious of God in a more general sense is by reading the Quran, our consciousness that this is not the work of a human being should be enhanced. That this is not the work of a human being. So as we read the Quran and recite the Quran and reflect on its message, it should strengthen our conviction that this scripture is from the Lord of all the worlds. This scripture is not from a human being. And the Arabs, it was easy for them. Even those of them who rejected Islam, they rejected Islam out of their stubbornness and their recalcitrance and their refusal to follow our Prophet Muhammad wasallam because he was poor. Uh, he wasn't one of the rich notables of Medina. He was a notable, but he wasn't wealthy. So the rich people, why should we follow a peasant, a peon? So they, they refused to accept Islam for many reasons, but very few of them refused because they failed to acknowledge that the Qur'an was not from a human being. And so that reason, they were baffled, some of them. Like, this, this can't be the speech of a human, but I don't want to deal with it. So I, I, I can't reconcile so many of them were torn and conflicted because of the power of the Qur'an as they recited it in their tongue. So we learn it. We learn Arabic. And by studying Arabic and studying rhetoric, balagha and other things, i'jazul uh, Qur'an, the miraculous, de, uh, how can we say, not just the miraculous nature, i'jazul Qur'an, it's... Uh, debilitating nature it, it, it inhibits the ability of others because of its magnitude to, Im, to imitate it so this is Quran. so as we study these things the power of the Quran grows in us in relation to the depth of our study but the Arabs who are the speakers of the language of the Quran intuitively it struck them and intuitively they knew this is Beyond from a source beyond this world, because of the nature of the language and the nature of the power that was conveyed by the language of the Quran, it should also enhance our reflection. <clears throat> so, as we deepen our understanding of Quran, it should only encourage us to reflect more. It's like a delicious dish, the more you eat, the more you want. So you're like, wow, I can't stop. I'm addicted. And that's the Qur'an. The more we reflect on it, the more we ponder it, the more it encourages us to ponder. Say, wow, this I never realized. So now that I realize this, it opens up my heart and my intellect to the fact that there's another level of meaning that I was never even aware of. So I want to engage that. And then when we engage that, more opens up. 
And one of the keys to that whole process is acting on everything we learn. As we learn more, it should encourage us to act more. And as we act more, more is opened up for us. So as the Prophet ﷺ, he said, or sometimes the saying attributed to Isa salam, uh, no, the Prophet ﷺ, من عمل بما علم ورفه الله علم ما لا يعلم. That whoever acts on the basis of what they know, Allah will bequeath unto them knowledge that they don't know. So this is called ilm al-ladunni. So knowledge that is inspired directly by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, knowledge beyond our human capacity to attain to. So it's not knowledge that constitutes prophethood or prophecy, but it's meanings and understanding that based on our own limited human devices, we couldn't attain to. So Allah Ta'ala opens that up for all of us. And you see it, I, I see it many, many times. One of the greatest areas that I see this is when I listen to new converts explain Islam to people, especially people who are in this kind of attack mode. This is very common nowadays. People want to attack Muslims. And so many times a, a person new in Islam who hasn't read that much but is very sincere in acting on what they do know, Allah Ta'ala opens up things, and you'll hear beautiful, powerful arguments, and you're like, wow, where did they get that from? You know, I've been Muslim 30 years, and I never read that, and then you'll ask them after, where'd you get that from? I said, I don't know. (laughs) It just came out. So I'm sure those who are converts can relate to that. And, and those who might not be converts but weren't practicing Islam and got serious about practicing it, and as you practice it, things just, Allah Ta'ala opens up things, and that's one of the blessings that Allah Ta'ala gives us. Another aspect of the Qur'an is mentioned in the following verse. Allah Ta'ala says, وَكَذَلْكَ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا لِيُنْذِرَ أُمَّ الْقُرَى وَمَنْ حَوْلَهَا وَتُنْذِرَ يَوْمَ الْيَوْمَ الْجَمْعِ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ فَرِيقٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَفَرِيقٌ فِي السَّعِيرِ So Allah Ta'ala says, Thus have we revealed unto you an Arabic Qur'an in order that you will warn the mother of the towns, Mecca, and those outlying surrounding Villages and towns, so those that are orbiting in the orbit of Mecca and the Arabian Peninsula, that you will warn them of the day of the gathering. All people will be resurrected and gathered together for the judgment. La fi. There's no doubt about it. It will definitely occur. After that judgment, a group of people will be deputed to paradise. فَرِيقٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ And a group of people will be ushered into hell. وَفَرِيقٌ فِي السَّعِيرِ So this verse uh, explains many, many aspects of what the Qur'an should mean to us. So Allah Ta'ala says, وَكَذَلْكَ أُحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا لِتُنْذِرَ أُمَّ الْقُرَى وَمَنْ حَوْلَهَا that you warn, we've revealed to you the scripture in Arabic, that you warn the mother of the towns. So the Qur'an should inspire us with a mission. 
we shouldn't read the Quran and then put it down and assume a normal life. There should definitely be normality in our lives. We should have normal relations. We should have families. We should go to work every day. We should uh, try to treat people decently and do all the things that normal people do. But over and beyond that, we should have a sense as individuals and as a community that we have a mission, that we have to warn people. This is the way of our Prophet. Ya ayyuhal Nabi, inna arsalnaka shahidan wa mubashiran wa nadhira. O Prophet, we've sent you as a witness, as a giver of glad tidings, as a warner. Wa nadhira. And we should be inspired by his example. And he's our, our exemplar. Laqad kana lakum fi rasulillahi uswatun hasana. You have in the Messenger of Allah a most excellent example. So we should see ourselves as witnesses. So over and beyond the normal things we do. And we emphasize normality because we shouldn't uh, feel that we're overburdened and we have to be super people. But in addition to all the normal things we do, go to school, go to work, play with the kids, play with the spouse. That's a very normal activity. It escapes a lot of Muslims. Playing with the spouse. See, a Muslim. We don't do that. You better do it because you'll be a divorced Muslim. <laughs> Play with the spouse. Normal activities. But over and beyond that, there has to be a sense that there's something more to our lives. Individually and communally. And part of that something more is to warn people. To warn people. And we shouldn't hesitate. And we shouldn't, and we're going to come back to our current situation. We shouldn't allow ourselves to constantly be put on the defensive. Warn people. Like, you can't continue to oppress people and not expect that sooner or later God is going to get angry. It doesn't work like that. Cease and desist. Should be warners. So this is one thing we, we take from this verse. لِتُنذِرَ أُمَّ الْقُرَى وَمَنْ حَوْلَهَا وَتُنذِرَ يَوْمَ الْجَمْعِ And to warn people of the great gathering. So all of our, our warnings shouldn't be confined to this world. Like, stop your political oppression, stop bombing the Muslims, stop vilifying Islam, stop unjustly uh, associating Muslims with violence. So all of that is associated with this world. And it's valid and legitimate. We should be warning people because Allah Ta'ala responds and Allah Ta'ala becomes angry. Allah does not love oppressors. So the oppression that occurs in this world, Allah hates it. And sooner or later, Allah Ta'ala is going to do something about it. So that warning and that level of warning is real, but we shouldn't neglect the hereafter. Heaven and hell are real. Our resurrection is real. Gathering and then standing before Allah to be judged is real. These are realities.
they are as real as our, the time we spent in the womb. None of us remembers that. None of us knows how that was. None of us understands that darkness, but it's real. So that's the reality. That's the darkness that preceded our life in this world, and it's real. And the darkness and life in the grave that will follow our life in this world is real. And then the resurrection and the gathering that will follow the life in the grave is real. It's all real. And we should warn people that you have to prepare for this. And Allah Ta'ala emphasizes here, There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. So beware, be conscious, prepare yourself, be warned of it. And this is something the Qur'an should impress upon us as we engage with the Qur'an. فَرِيقٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَفَرِيقٌ فِي and after all is said and done, there will be a group of people, فَمِنْهُمْ شَقِيٌّ وَسَعِيدٌ There will be a group of people that will be wretched eventually for the rest of eternity, and there will be a group of people in unimaginable bliss. فَمِنْهُمْ شَقِيٌّ Wretched people, وَسَعِيد Happy, blissful people. And those who will be wretched, those who will have bliss, fariqun fil jannati, will be that group in paradise. And those who will be wretched for the rest of eternity will be those people in hell. Wa fariqun fisayir. So one thing the Quran should stimulate in us and should spark in us is the consciousness of these realities and then inspire us to work and to prepare ourselves to be amongst those people who will be in paradise. Amongst the fariq fil jannah. Amongst the group that will be in paradise. So we should see ourselves possessing a mission. And that should motivate us to act. Because we, I'm sure, all of us, have I asked each and every one of you, individually or collectively... Is or are there a lot of things terribly wrong in the world we live in? Yes or no? Yes. Qayyab. None of us would disagree. Nah, nah, everything's it's hunky-dory, man. It's, everything's perfect. You know, don't rock the boat, buddy. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. No one would say that. There's a lot wrong ecologically, politically, economically, socially. Go down the line. There's a lot wrong. How are we going to fix it if, we don't, if we're not motivated and inspired and we don't see ourselves as having a mission to fix it? How do you think the early Christians fixed the Roman Empire? the oppression, the, the brutalities that they themselves were suffering at the hands of the Romans. It wasn't without a sense of mission. They saw themselves as having a mission. They saw themselves as carrying the mission that God sent to humanity through Isa, through Jesus Christ. They saw themselves having a mission. And in undertaking that mission, they were willing to suffer. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing 
to work. And if we don't see ourselves, and you look at any, the early Muslims, how were they able to take this revelation from China, which they did? China, Islam reached China during the time of the Sahaba. It wasn't established there, but it reached China to the Pyrenees, the mountains of, of southern France, northern Spain, in less than 100 years. You think that happened without people were filled with the sense of mission? to endure the suffering, the sacrifice, the hardship that it took to take Islam. Islam was, a, was in Switzerland less than 100 years after the Prophet For over 40 years, the Muslims had a state in Switzerland. They had reached into the Alps. They had gone as far as they knew the known world. When Uqba bin Nathia came to the shores of the Atlantic off the coast of Morocco, he said, if I knew there were lands beyond this ocean, they didn't know at the time, then I would ride across this ocean and take Islam to those people. So they were inspired with the sense of mission. And we have to be similarly inspired. And one of the things that the Quran does when we properly engage it is it instills in us a sense of mission. So if we're reading the Quran and reading Quran in that sense, isn't happening, then something is not clicking. Something is not quite right in terms of how we engage the Qur'an. So it's something that's very, very important. And, and it's important because we have a responsibility to others. We have a responsibility to others. If, you're, if I'm a Muslim, and alhamdulillah, I'm like the average Muslim. So the average Muslim is not drinking and not using drugs and has no need for those things. Now, saying that, sure, there's some Muslims. They drink, they use drugs, but the average Muslim doesn't. So you don't have to even get to the, the uh, good Muslim. The good Muslim doesn't. The average Muslim doesn't drink, doesn't use drugs, doesn't fornicate. So if people all around us, their lives are being destroyed, their families are being destroyed by drinking and drugs and fornication, don't we have a responsibility to them? Just like, look, you don't have to live like this. There's a source of peace. You can have inner peace that can relieve you of the need to live this kind of life, to have to be dependent on those substances, to, to, to see yourself having to compensate for these personality disorders by all of this womanizing or whatever else is happening in your life. You don't have to live like this. That's a duty we have. لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه no one of you truly believes until he or she loves for his or her brother or sister what he or she loves for himself or herself. So I love this state that I'm in. So I should love for my brother in humanity or my sister in humanity to enjoy this state. So again, this is something that the Quranic message should instill in us.
another aspect of the Quranic message that's conveyed to us during this blessed month of Ramadan. Allah Ta'ala says, Shahru Ramadan, الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ Quran." So we can't separate the Quran from Ramadan. Shahru Ramadan, الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ Quran." So it's very appropriate that we're talking about this subject in Ramadan because this is the month of the Quran. So Allah Ta'ala goes on to mention very critical aspects of the Quranic message. Shahru Ramadan, الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ للناس. Guidance for humanity. للناس. That this Quran is a source of guidance. Generally, وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِّنَ الْهُدَى Specifically, and an, ex- an expounding and elucidating, elucidating that guidance. So it's general guidance and it's specific guidance. What are the specifics related to this Quranic message? So the Quran gives general guidance, it gives specific guidance. Well, for Quran, and it establishes for us a criterion to determine between right and wrong. So in other words, the Qur'an introduces for us an objective standard of morality. It, in, it introduces for us <clears throat> an objective standard of behavior. We don't have to experiment in many aspects, fundamental aspects of how we interact with others. The Qur'an introduces an objective standard of how we should interact with others. The Qur'an introduces for us an objective standard of worship. So we don't have to experiment with our liturgy. So the liturgy of any religion, what is a liturgy? What does that involve? Some of you were Catholics before. I know. Public rituals of worship, the publicly manifested rites of worship. And where are those for many religions today compared to what their prophets brought them? Far, far away. Even the Catholic Church abandoned the Latin liturgy, has abandoned that. As Muslims, the Quran, and this is one of the blessings of the Quran, gave us an, ob- an objective standardized liturgy. And one of the blessings of the Qur'an, it's inspired us as Muslims to preserve that. So we pray today publicly. When before this class, there was the salah. That prayer is just like the, the Prophet and the Sahaba did it. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, radiallahu anhum, ajma'in. They will come back. If one of them were to come back, they will feel perfectly comfortable lining up, getting in the line, they, wouldn't ex- they would expect and they would get four rakats for Dhuhr, three for Maghrib. This, they would get what they expected. They would expect the imam to recite loudly for Fajr and not uh, loudly for Dhuhr. They wouldn't expect after Salat al-Dhuhr, which everyone prayed, if Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Umar, Uthman, Ali were sent back by Allah Ta'ala, they wouldn't go up to Sheikh Salik why didn't you say the Fatiha out loud in the first two rakats? This is Dhuhr. They would expect a silent recitation and they would get it. So this standardization of our liturgy 
is, is an example of how other aspects of our religious life have been standardized. And part of the reason that's been preserved is because of the power of the Qur'an that Allah Ta'ala has placed and it's impacted itself, placed in the power Allah has placed in His scripture and it's impacted itself on our hearts and it's motivated us to preserve and to adhere to the standardization that Allah Ta'ala instituted through His Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now saying that, there are definitely large areas of our religious teachings that we neglect. So all of us are guilty in that regard. But there is much that we have held on to. And one of the reasons for that is due to the blessing of the Qur'an. Now in terms of what we neglect, and in terms of uh, the Qur'an's power and its message losing its impact, <clears throat> Allah Ta'ala uh, mentions that. And, and we mentioned we want to be prescriptive. So in these introductory remarks we're engaging in today, we want to move into the realm of prescription. So part of the problem arises, Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an, أَلَمْ يَأْنِي لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَن تَخْشَعَ قُلُوبُهُمْ لِذِكْرِ So Allah Ta'ala says, Has not the time come for those who believe that the hearts should become soft and receptive through the remembrance of Allah. وَمَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ And what has been revealed of the truth, the Qur'an. وَمَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ And the truth that has been revealed with the Qur'an. وَلَا يَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ فَطَالَ عَلَيْهِمُ الْأَمَدِ and they not be, and so this is addressing us. Has not the time come for those who believe in the Prophet Muhammad that their hearts are softened and become receptive to the guidance and to the remembrance of Allah, and to the message of the Qur'an, and they not, that they not be like those who were given the scripture beforehand. وَلَا يَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مَنْ قَبْلِ فَطَالَ عَلَيْهِمُ And the time that they lived in, and the time that their messenger initially brought the revelation becomes long and expansive. فَقَسَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ and their hearts become hard. Meaning, their hearts start to incline towards the world. And their hearts start to uh, incline towards the immediacy of the worldly life. And therefore become unreceptive to the messages that orient them towards the hereafter. So this is the hardening of the hearts, and many of those people who were given the scripture beforehand, and Muslims are not immune, this is why Allah Ta'ala is, is reminding us and warning us in this verse, they become 
live lives that are not influenced by the revelation. So people ask, you know, if, if this is a Christian country, then why are these people such prolific warmongers? Generally speaking, when Christ was the Prince of Peace, because the message of Christ is not impacting itself on the hearts. So one can talk about it until the cows come home, just as Muslims. We can talk about Islam. Islam elevated the status of the woman. Stay home, no education, make my food. Why is it cold? So we could talk all until the cows come home. Islam elevated the woman. Islam did this and Islam did that. And if it doesn't impact on our hearts, we're not going to do it. Islam does it as if Islam is some reified entity that has a life of its own. So Islam elevates the moment. So you see I-S-L-A-M picking up a sister, a sister. Islam elevated the woman. And Islam gave us a sound family life. That's why more and more Muslims get divorced after six months. Like, what happened, brother? She sneezed and and I felt moisture on my face. Billah. So I divorced her. I'm gonna find a wife that doesn't sneeze. So okay. Good luck. You should maybe uh, live in a more realistic world. And it'll be easy to deal with sneezing wives and snoring husbands. Like, what happened, sister? You look like such a happy couple. You were, I know, but as soon as we got married and I found out the brother snored, stuck for a while. <laughs> so we, we have to... <laughs> we have to... Just live in the world of reality. Sisters sneeze and brothers snore. So let's get over it and get close to the Quran. So the hearts become hard. And this, this is communities. So when Allah Ta'ala says, So the time when those, that those communities live in, and the time the, the, the revelation first came to those communities becomes long. It becomes a, an expansive amount of time. So their hearts become hard. Also, those who convert to Islam or those who were maybe born in Muslim families and they get serious about Islam. And then the time becomes long. So the months turn into years and the years turn into decades. And the hearts can become hard also. So, and you'll hear people saying, subhanAllah, it's just not the same. You know, what's not the same? You know, when I first became Muslim, I mean, I could walk through a brick wall for Islam. You know, when I first converted, I was ready to take on the world. You know, I was like, Godzilla, or that's King Kong. Being I was like King Kong. Oh, I could just, uh, but now I just don't feel it. It's not the same. So that can happen. 
But if we're close to the message of the Qur'an, that will not happen. The Qur'an will retain its vitality, it will retain its freshness, it will retain its originality, it will contain its creative energy, it will contain uh, all of those things. It, it will continue to contain. And Allah Ta'ala reminds us of that. In the very next verse, Allah Ta'ala says, you should know that Allah revives the earth after its death. So the earth, the rain comes in the springtime or here in California in wintertime. And the earth, what happens? It becomes, if you go out into your garden right now and you hit the ground, you might hurt your hand, right? It's rock hard. It's like hitting cement. Like, ah. The rains come, and what happens? Swoosh. The earth gets soft, and it brings forth vegetation. Now nothing will grow if you don't water it. Nothing will grow. It burns up. If you don't water it, nothing will grow. When the rain comes, the earth becomes soft, and it brings forth lush vegetation. So you look at an area right now, it's barren, just stubble, burned up weeds or grass. You, in January, you look at it, it's green, it's lush. So Allah Ta'ala says, <laughs> Know that Allah revives the earth after its death. So this is a parable. If that hard heart is exposed to the rain. What is the rain? The remembrance of Allah. The recitation of Qur'an. Contemplating the Qur'an. Reflecting on His meaning. Then it will become soft, like the earth, after it becomes hard and barren. And it will bring forth lush vegetation. It will bring forth productive faith. Faith that leads to action. Faith that leads to beautiful character. Productive faith. Not empty faith. It will bring forth productive faith. قَدْ بَيَّنَّا لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ And we have explained our signs for you with clarity in order that you reflect. قَدْ بَيَّنَّا لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْكِلُونَ so Allah Ta'ala sets forth parables. Allah Ta'ala explains things in the Qur'an. And Allah Ta'ala gives us prescriptions. And here the prescription that Allah is giving us is turn to the Qur'an. Remember Allah. Expose your heart to the rain that the remembrance of Allah constitutes. Expose your heart to the rain that the Qur'an constitutes and this Qur'an will come to life. Its message will come to life. Its meaning will come to life. And it will guide us. Allah says it's guidance. It is guidance for people. It will guide us through the times that we live in. So what I want to do right now, and this is all by way of introduction, and some of this we've expounded on before. And next year, week, inshallah, we're going to look at a specific aspect of the Quranic guidance. So we want to ex expound on the Quranic guidance in terms of the insight that it gives us into our current condition. 
So our current condition here <clears throat> is that we f confront many challenges. Uh, there are people, uh, dastardly, despicable people, that are saying Muslims in this country should be deported. There are people saying Muslims should be murdered. Muslims should be imprisoned. And they're, they're fringe lunatics, but they're moving closer and closer to the mainstream. And may Allah Ta'ala help us. Uh, it becomes more difficult for Muslims. So there's more discrimination in the workplace for Muslims. There's more discrimination in housing for Muslims. These are things that are happening. It's documented. You can look on the CARE website. Uh, hate crimes against Muslims up 30% at an all-time high. So you find these things manifesting themselves, which indicates that we're going to have to struggle. So if some, anyone thought, if anyone thought that coming to this country, they escaped struggle. I was struggling in Philistine. I was struggling in the apartheid conditions. I was struggling in worse than apartheid conditions. Conditions in Philistine are worse than apartheid South Africa. That's a fact. Uh, why? Because many of the, the discriminatory policies that the African people are dealing with in apartheid South Africa, they're there, but the South Africans, they weren't bombing Bantu stands. They weren't sending Apache helicopters and F-16s into, to bomb townships and Bantu stands. They didn't have... 15 checkpoints between a person's village and a hospital so that before you get through these 15 checkpoints, the sister had the baby in the back of the taxi cab. So South Africans didn't have to deal with that. That's a fact. And you shouldn't hesitate to say that. You get labeled anti-Semitic. As a Muslim, you'll never be anti-Semitic because part of our faith is to love the Arabs and the Prophet And they're Semitic people. And part of our faith is to respect the Jews and the people of other religions. So we respect the Jews. But the brutal policies of Zionists, if we're people who speak out against oppression, we speak out against those policies. That's, that's a right we have. And no one can take that right from us. We can only surrender it. No one can take that from us. We can only surrender it. So, this is the, these are the, this is the nature of the times we live in. We, so, uh, the, the, I, uh, on that tangent. So, if anyone thought by leaving Palestine, they would escape struggle. I'm going to a part of the world where... Muslims don't have to struggle. I'm going to America. It's going to be easy and hunky-dory. I'm going to get a nice suburban home, and all my neighbors are going to love me, and I'm going to live happily ever after. It's not like that. That place doesn't exist on this earth. If anyone thought I'm going to convert to Islam and I'm not going to struggle anymore, so I'm going to become a Muslim and everything's going to be all right. Oh, you're going to become a Muslim, then you're really going to have to struggle. <laughs>
one man said to the Prophet Sallallahu he said, I want to follow you. And the Prophet told him, think about what you're saying. He said, no, I want to follow you. He said, then prepare yourself for poverty. Prepare yourself for poverty, if you're serious. Because those were days of struggle and sacrifice. Those were days of struggle and sacrifice. You know, my people who follow me, they're boycotted by their community. Weren't they boycotted? People that follow me, they're exiled from their lands, and they leave their property behind. People that follow me, people wage war against them, and they might lose their property and their lives. So he said, you want to follow me? Prepare yourself for poverty. And that might not be the case, but be ready. Because if you're following me, you're going to live a life of struggle. And that's the life of this world. Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal insan, not Ya ayyuhal mu'minuna, Ya ayyuhal mu'minuna, Ya ayyuhal muslimuna, Ya ayyuhal insan, Ya ayyuhal insan, O you human being, you're toiling and struggling to reach your Lord and you will reach Him. So the journey to Allah is a difficult journey. The journey to Allah is a journey filled with struggle, trial, trial and tribu- tribulation, strife. It's not an easy journey. The Prophet said, that paradise is surrounded by difficulties. And hell is surrounded. You want, if, if one wants to go to hell, good. You don't have to struggle. <laughs> Easy. Enjoy. Anything you want to do, do it. Anything you want to say, say it. You don't have to struggle in suppressing your nafs. You don't have to struggle in, in monitoring your actions. You want If it feels good, do it. That's, that's the path to hell. That's what the sign to hell says. <laughs> hell, this way. If it feels good, do it. And so, the paradise, it says, paradise, this road is surrounded by difficulties. That's the sign for Jannah. The sign for hell, if it feels good, do it. So it's easy. You want to follow your nafs, follow it. You want to do something, do it. Just go for it. So the nature of this life is struggle. But that struggle provides the backdrop and the contrast to make relief from that struggle that much more enjoyable and that much more appreciated. So Allah Ta'ala says, فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَعَ Difficulty, surely difficulty brings ease. Difficulty brings ease. So the difficulty of the struggle brings the ease that accompanies relief. It brings so the 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 faraj al karb. Know that victory comes through patiently persevere and know that relief comes after hardship. That relief comes after hardship and grief. And al-faraj ma'al-karb. 
and that difficulty brings and facilitates ease. So this month of the Qur'an, and the, one of the great lessons of the Qur'an is exactly that. Life is a struggle. Ya ayyuhal insan, innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhatha mulaqi. Life is a struggle, but that struggle brings ease. That hardship brings great enjoyment through the relief that we find at the end of our struggles. So it's a backdrop that allows us to appreciate the relief that much more. And really Ramadan, as we're in the first day of Ramadan, Ramadan accentuates the lesson of life. Ramadan is patience. Asalm nisfu sabr. Patience, uh, our fasting is half of all patience. Asalmu nisfu sabr. Ramadan is patience. Ramadan is self-denial. Denying oneself. And we know to succeed in this life, we can't pursue every appetite we have. We're not going to succeed. So Ramadan is self-denial. Ramadan is struggle. So we have to struggle with our, with our appetites. We have to struggle sometimes with physical pain, especially as the fast each year is going to get longer and longer. Now the days, as we move towards the middle of the summer, so in six or seven years from now, oh... Long fast. And sometimes that brings physical pain. Headaches, stomach aches, physical pain. And we have to struggle through that pain and work through that pain. And that's life is working through pain. Physical pain and emotional pain. That's part of life, just working through it. There's no life without pain. There's no life without pain. That's the reality of our condition. So Ramadan is telling us, look, you have to work through it. You have to work through it. You are disappointed by that situation? Work through it. Patiently persevere through it and know you'll have relief at the end of that struggle. That's, and so Ramadan teaches us, therefore, what does Allah Ta'ala say? لِسَّائِمِ farhatan. The fasting person will have two great delights. So there'll be relief from that struggle of fasting. Farhatun and the fitrihi, the delight that he or she has when he or she breaks the fast. So at the end of the day, today, around 7.10 or so, ah, those dates are so good. Sometimes you almost pass out. <laughs> you must, sometimes your mouth gets so watered up. You eat that date and just think about it, your mouth getting watery. That, and then that nice, cool water just goes down and, oh, boy. That's delight. Farhatun the fitrihi. And that delight comes at the end of each day and it comes at the end of the month. Eid al-fitr. Farhatun inda fitrihi wa farhatun inda liqa'i rabbihi. And the, so the delight that he or she has when they break their fast at the end of each day and at the end of each month. And the greater the struggle, the greater that delight. You have a real hard day. 
So it wasn't a normal fast. It was like you barely, you ate one date and drank half a cup of water for sahur because the alarm cock didn't go off. And you rolled over and it was like 5.20. So you got a few minutes to eat something. You just wolfed down a date that was left over from last night and drank a glass of water. So you're starting out, the tank's almost empty. And then when you went to start the car up, the car wouldn't start. So you had to run around all morning trying to get the car fixed. So you were an hour late for work. And because you were an hour late for work, the head start on that stack of papers that you were going to just take your time was lost. Now you're an hour in the hole, so you're just going through that. Then you got the call from home. Uh, oh, no. And your, your husband or wife whoever made the call or child, I can't pick up Ahmed today. Can you go get him during your lunch break? And you're like, oh, no. So you jump in the car, and you run, and you pick up Ahmed, and you drop him home, and you hustle back to work. And then you start working on those papers that now you're three hours behind dealing with. <laughs> then you realize, subhanAllah, the is going out. Subhanallah. So you go into the conference room and you pray, Lord, right before Asr comes in. <laughs> and then the day continues to unravel. Then it's 6 o'clock and it's all over. And you get home and that rush hour was especially hard. And you eat that date. Farhatun <laughs> inda <laughs> fitrihi. <laughs> And then after a life of struggle, Sheikh Hamza, mashallah, the Ummah Free Clinic uh, dinner a couple weeks ago, or last weekend, in fact. Some of you might have been there. or They were honoring one of the people from the community who worked hard with the clinic and in the community. And Sheikh Hamza, this is related secondhand, and the narration might be a little different. If you were actually there, then your riwayah is stronger, your narration is stronger. So I'm, I'm relating an majhul on someone I even forgot who they are, an unknown narrator. But they say, Sheikh Hamza said that when they were mentioning the person, that you can tell what sort of life a person's lived by their face. So he was just saying that this person had lived a good life in service to others, a good life as a person of faith. I don't think the person was a Muslim, but a person who had faith in whatever their religion was and struggled to serve others. And if we live a good life in this world, a life of struggle, not just in dealing with our problems, but struggling to help others deal with their problems better, and a life of faith, a life that's characterized by deep faith. Imagine the joy when we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, you know, to the best of my ability, I lived a good life. I fought the good fight. I gave it all I had. Ya Allah, that's all I could do. And then we meet Allah ta'ala. Imagine the joy. And Allah Ta'ala rewards us and recompenses us for our fast. 
and for a life well lived. Not a perfect life. None of us will live a perfect life. But a life where we strived and struggled to the best of our ability to live like the one who was closest to embodying human perfection, our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And imagine, imagine the gloom of a person who's in the opposite state when they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just sinned and rebelled and, and they, met, they were in for a great surprise when they met Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we, this is what it's all about. Ramadan is really a, is, is symbolic of our lives. It's a parable. It's a metaphor for life. Ramadan is a metaphor for life. Get up early. Struggle to maintain and keep one's actions and speech within the limits established by Allah. See, this is what Ramadan is. Yeah, don't eat, don't drink. Give up even those things that are lawful, if so doing is pleasing to God. Because what do we give up in Ramadan? We don't give up the haram. During the month of Ramadan, don't eat pork and don't drink alcohol during the day. No. Don't drink water. Don't drink juice. Don't drink Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid's halal. It's most of us, we grew up on Kool-Aid. We turned out all right, healthy, you know. <laughs> like, don't drink Kool-Aid. You have to drink organic beet juice. <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I'm telling you, I grew up on Kool-Aid. I had six brothers and sisters. My mother was raising us alone, and she couldn't afford to shop at Whole Foods. <laughs> Matter of fact, they didn't even have Whole Foods. So she bought Kool-Aid. <laughs> so just relax if you can't always make it to Whole Foods you know go get the generic brand inshallah one or two times you'll be alright <laughs> but the point is subhanallah so that's what we're asked to give up the lawful for the sake of Allah so and that's if we can do that for one month then avoiding the unlawful for 11 months is easy if we can give up one, the, un, the lawful for Allah Ta'ala for one month, giving up the unlawful for the sake of Allah for 11 months is easy. It's, it's conditioning. So Ramadan is a metaphor for life. We struggle and we try to keep our, our actions and speech within the lawful limits set by Allah. We do our best. And we take time to enjoy the good things and the delights that Allah gives us. No matter how hard our life is, there are those great moments. We have the picnic once in a while. We get together and take the family out. We have the light moments with friends. And we enjoy and we cherish those moments. And those are the things that adorn this life. And then we get back to the struggle because the picnic doesn't last forever. The hike doesn't last forever. The meeting with the friends doesn't last forever. Those are moments of, of enjoyment. We get back to the struggle. And then we have the next iftar. The next moment of relief and delight. And get back to the struggle. That's a metaphor for life. And then we die. Then Eid al-Fitr comes. And it's all over. And then our death comes. And it's all over. 
and we have joy. If we live good, we have joy when we meet our love. When we meet our love, our love and our Lord, and our Lord should be our greatest love. So, this is uh, the message of Ramadan. And this message brings alive a critical message of the Quran. The Quran is struggle, but it's not, or, or a critical lesson of life, that the Quran reinforces to us that life is struggle, but it's not unmitigated struggle. It's not struggle with no relief. It's not struggle with no moments and no times of relief and ease. فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَى فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَى So, <clears throat> we should understand our life is a struggle. And there are going to be challenges and there are going to be hardship. And Allah Ta'ala prepares us for that in the Qur'an. So, for example... Allah in the Quran, He says, and we've mentioned this before, but just this is is an example of Quranic guidance and how it arms us and equips us to deal with what we're confronted with in this life. He says, That you're going to be tested in your wealth through losing your wealth, through... uh, Sacrificing your wealth for others. These are all tests. And your life with disease, illness, hardship, and possibly even loss of life. That's part of the test that this life involves. And he says, And you're going to hear. Surely you're going to hear. From those, some of those given the scriptures before you, the Jews and Christians. And the idolaters, much abuse. So, just this alone, if we understand this, we can put everything happening around us in perspective. So we hear all of this vilification of Islam. We fear all of this attacking the Muslims. Is it something that we should be surprised by? Some people are surprised because they're away from the Quran. How could this happen? This is supposed to be America. And you're going to hear from those given the scripture before you, some of the Jews and some of the Christians, not all of them, and some of the idolaters, much abuse, not a little abuse, much abuse. <clears throat> so, Allah Ta'ala describes the situation in real terms. You can't get more real than that. You're going to be tried and tested in your wealth and your lives, and you're going to hear from those given the scripture before you and from the idolaters much abuse. Allah describes the reality, and then Allah prescribes a course of action. So the prescription, وَإِن تَصْبِرُوا وَتَتَّقُوا If you 
patiently persevere through those hardships and through that difficulty and through and deal with those abuses with dignity and don't let it crush you don't let it dishearten you and don't allow it to turn you away from the commandments of Allah Keep implementing the commandments and keep avoiding the prohibitions. Keep doing the things that are required of you as a Muslim. Surely this course of action is one that you should have azima in. You should be convicted to follow. It's an embodiment of conviction and by doing it, it strengthens your conviction. And it's the way of the Prophet. So one thing that we get when we're close to the alayhi salam is the way of the Prophets. One fruit that we get when we're close to the Qur'an is that parts of it begin to reinforce other parts. So this verse illustrates that. فَإِنَّ ذَلِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ This is from conviction in your affair to patiently persevere through those abuses, to remain faithful and imp- faithful in implementing the commandments and prohibitions of God, this is a manifestation of conviction, and this is something, a course of action, that will strengthen your conviction, and it's the way of the prophets. Allah Ta'ala says, Fasbir to the Prophet Muhammad. Fasbir, ya Muhammad. Fasbir, kama sabara ulul azmi min rusul Patiently persevere with conviction as those prophets given to conviction and firm resolve before you patiently persevered. Fasbir kama sabara ulul azmi min rusul. And then he says, and don't be hasty in dismissing your people. And because why? That's not a manifestation of patience. These people will never respect Muslims. These people will never be guided. Why? Do you control the affairs of the universe and based on your meager power, you're making that conclusion? Or does Allah Ta'ala control the affair of the universe? And is or is not everything easy for Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala? Allah Ta'ala is in control. If Allah wanted to guide all of humanity to Islam, He but needs say, be, and it will be. His command when He wants something is but say, be, and it is. It's that simple. It's that simple. Be, and it is. Allah says to the Prophet ﷺ, when he was confronted with the abuse of his people, this is right in the aftermath of Uhud, when his people are, are defiling the religion, when his people are rejecting the religion, when his people are physically fighting against him, and they've inflicted this terrible setback that afflicted them at Uhud, they've afflicted them with this setback, what does Allah Ta'ala say? The Prophet Sallallahu says, how can I call these people to the religion? So he's not complaining to Allah, but he's rationalizing his situation when they are, they are abusing his Prophet. Allah Ta'ala reveals, لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ شَيْءٍ 
you have absolutely nothing to do with the outcome of this affair. In other words, don't you worry about it. You're not responsible for guiding them. You're responsible for delivering the message. If you did that, you've done your job. That's the end of your job. The outcome, who, how that message affects people, that's with us. Allah and the Prophet Wasallam. This, this message was reinforced because subsequently he says in hadith, مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّحُ فِي The one Allah wants good for, He gives him or her a sound understanding of the religion. وَإِنَّمَا أَنَا قَاسِمْ وَاللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ يُعْطِي I am one who merely dispenses the seeds. إِنَّمَا أَنَا قَاسِمْ I proportion out the revelation. I articulate the revelation. I dispense the seeds. وَاللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ يُعْطِي and it is Allah who gives understanding. So Allah causes some of those seeds to fall on rock. The heart of Abi Jahl, Abi Lahab, Al-Walid bin Al-Mughira. It doesn't take root. Allah causes some of those seeds that the Prophet dispenses to fall on fertile ground. And it takes root in the hearts of the Ali, Uthman, Abu Bakr, Umar. And brothers and sisters right here. Believers, it takes root in the believer's heart and it brings forth a goodly tree. So, but at that time, he's saying, How can this happen when they're abusing and vilifying and warring against the Messenger of Allah and against the believers? Allah Ta'ala reveals, You have nothing to do with the outcome of this affair. I might. Turn to them, I might torment, punish them. Or he might torment them. Because in any case, they are wrongdoers. They fought you, they've warred against the religion, they're wrongdoers. But Allah is saying, you have nothing to do with the outcome. So, again, this is something we get from the Quran, peace of mind. And understanding this is Allah's affair. That's something that the Quran impresses on us. This is Allah's affair. And He controls the outcome of His affair. And in the greater scheme, it's a cosmic play, and we're just actors in that play. But the script has been written by the scriptwriter, and we just play our parts. And we don't write the script. We should understand that. So the Qur'an emphasizes this. <clears throat> the Qur'an, as we said, prescribes the problem. And the Qur'an gives insight into the problem. So the oppression of the believers that we see the, in these days and times, when one understands the Qur'an, as we said, one's not surprised by that. So Allah Ta'ala, before that verse we mentioned, you're going to be uh, tried in your wealth and your persons. Allah Ta'ala says, this is also, all of this is in Ali Imran. This is an incredible surah, Ali Imran. So he says, Allah <laughs> 
Those people said, the people, the host are gathering against you, so fear them. It only increased their faith. And they said, Allah suffices us, what an excellent protector. So they're gathering against you, the neocons, the Zionists, the conservatives, the evangelicals. They're gathering against you. So fear them. It only increased their faith. And they said, Allah suffices us, what an excellent protector. So Allah is our protector. Hasbunallahu wa ni'mal wakil. Hasbunallahu wa ni'mal wakil. Allah suffices us, what an excellent protector. Because the people that People are encouraging us to fear. Those people themselves need to fear God. Because our God is their God. There's only one God. There's only one God. And His wrath we should all seek to avoid. And His pleasure we should all seek to incur. Whether we're Muslims or other folk. It's that simple. And so we should understand, though, that God is in control. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in control of the affairs of his universe. So we should not fall victim to the politics of fear. And this set of verses leads right into analyzing the politics of fear. So this is the Quran. This is guidance for Quran from, from Allah in the Quran that's relevant to our lives and times. So then he says, فَانْقَلَبُوا So for putting their trust in Allah and not fearing, فَخْشَوْهُمْ Not fearing the people and trusting in Allah and seeking the protection of Allah. فَانْقَلَبُوا بِنِعْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَفَضْلٍ لَمْ يَمْسَسْهُمْ سُوءٍ So they went away. فَانْقَلَبُوا بِنِعْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ With the blessing of Allah and His bounties. No harm or wickedness from the direction of their enemies afflicted them. And the whole story, this is the whole story. After Uhud, <clears throat> the companions and the Prophet ﷺ, they went into Medina. And they stayed a day. And then after a day, the Prophet ﷺ, he told the only the because and they were being ridiculed by the hypocrites and their allies, the allies of the hypocrites. See, look at the mess you're in now. We told you not to follow this man. Now you've been uh, killed and wounded because at, uh, you've been killed and you've been wounded. And look what's happened. Look at the mess you're in now. At, at Uhud, most of those who were killed, the small number of Muslims that were killed at Uhud, they were from the ranks of the Muhajireen. Afwan, at Badr. The small number of those killed and wounded were from, overwhelmingly from the ranks of the Muhajireen. At Uhud, most of the large number of Muslims that were killed or wounded, they were from the ranks of the Ansar. 
So when they went back to, the, to Medina, the people, the hypocrites in Medina, and the allies of the hypocrites said, ah, see, <laughs> we told you. Look what happened. Look at this death that this man has brought you. Look at the destruction. We told you not to follow him. So the Prophet ﷺ, so the Muslims, they're already dejected from the battle, which was doubly depressing. Why? If it were defeat from the beginning, they went out to Uhud, the Quraysh descended on them and routed them, that would have been bad enough. Why was it doubly depressing? Because they were winning. It was defeat that was snatched from the jaws of victory, to invert the popular phrase. They were winning, and the archers left their position. It's all over. Let's get our share of the booty. Some of the archers, not all of them, and not their emir. They stayed, but most of them west. It's all over. Look, the Quraysh, they're routed. They're fleeing. They're in disarray. They're dropping. Let's go get our share of the booty. And here comes Khalid around the flank with his troop. And then the Muslims are put to rout. So it's doubly depressing because of that. Then they go on to Medina. Now it's triply depressing because they have to listen to all this abuse. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, everyone who participated in the battle, tomorrow we're mobilizing and we're going after the Quraysh. Now, some of them couldn't even walk. They had to crawl to their mounts to get on their mounts to mobilize to go out. Some of them were almost crawling. They didn't have mounts. And they went out after the Quraysh. And when the Quraysh heard that the Muslims were pursuing them, they didn't turn to go back. They, no, look, hey, we caught a break. The archers left their post. I'm not going back and going after those Muslims. So they went back to Medina, to Mecca. The Muslims went to a place called Hamra al-Asad, about 12 miles outside of Medina. They pitched camp there. They stayed there four or five days, and they, they were with the Prophet ﷺ. They knew the Quraysh had run away from them and didn't want to engage them again. So the actual defeat they suffered, the psychological weight of that defeat was lifted from them. They sat around the campfire, they recited poetry, they hung out with the Prophet ﷺ for five days, they didn't have to hear all that noise in Medina. So when they broke camp and went back to Medina, they went back with the blessings of Allah and His bounty. Allah warded off any harm from their enemy, any further physical harm, and any psychological harm. And Allah is the possessor of great expansive bounty. So Allah's bounty isn't limited to what we can get from this world. Allah's bounty isn't confined to what's possessed in this world. Allah's bounty isn't controlled by those who oppose His messenger and who oppose the people of Islam. Allah's bounty is confined to Himself. And Allah's bounty is expansive. And it has no human ways to comprehend its expansiveness. And when Allah gives from that bounty, that is the bounty that enriches. So this is what the Qur'an is, is impressing upon us. And then 
Allah lets us know the basis of the politics of fear. The next verse. So you have these people, they're trying to instill fear into you. الَّذِينَ قَالَ لَهُمُ النَّاسِ إِنَّ النَّاسَ قَدْ جَمَعُوا لَكُمْ فَخْشَوْهُمْ Fear them. فَزَادَهُمْ إِمَانًا وَقَالُوا حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلِ Then, <coughs> so they trusted in Allah. حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ And they sought the protection of Allah. وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلِ فَانْقَلَبُوا بِنِعْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَفَضْلٍ لَمْ يَمْسَسْهُمْ سُوءٍ so they, they, uh, they went back with no harm. Then Allah said, وَاللَّهُ لِلْعَظِيمِ And Allah has most expansive bounties. So where does all this come from? Where does all this fear-mongering come from? إِنَّمَا ذَلِكُمُ الشَّيْطَانِ يُقَوِّفُ أَوْلِيَاءَهِ فَلَا تَقَافُوهُمْ وَقَافُونِي إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ Rather that is Satan. He seeks to instill the fear of his dupes into you. The fear of his forces, his lackeys into you. Don't fear them, fear me if indeed you are believers. It's from shaitan. It's from Satan. It's satanic politics. It's satanic. So Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Satan threatens you with poverty. Tries to instill the fear of poverty into you. It is Satan that seeks to instill the fear of his dupes into you. So the, the, it is Satan that is at the source. It is Satan that's at the source. So some people, they think when someone goes before the UN and says Satan was here, in the face of all the politics of fear, think he's a lunatic. There's a deeper understanding there that has a basis in truth. So it's not lunacy. Rather, that is Satan. He seeks to instill the fear of his dupes into you. Don't fear them. Fear me if indeed you are believers. So we're not saying that physically Satan was in the UN. But if you look at what's going on, See, Satan's basic nature is that he's invisible. Kanamin al jinn. Jinn, jannah, to be hidden. The jannah layl. So the night hides things. So there are deeper meanings to everything. So maybe when Hugo Chavez was hanging out with those Muslims, he picked up a little tafsir, you know? <laughs> Wallahu alam wal musta'an. Tayyip. So we're going to stop here. This is all by way of introduction. Next, the next week, so we want to look at themes in the Quran and how we can bring those alive in our lives. The theme we're going to deal with next week is patience. The theme of patience. As-sabr. 
باذن الله تعالى والحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا متقبلا خالصا لوجهك الكريم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين